All right, welcome back to the Nashville Fitness Podcast. I am Dr. Ross Gentry here with my good friend, uh, Dr. Colleen Gensheimer. Did I get the name right? You sure did. Wow, killed it. (laughs) Uh, Guys, Colleen is one of our staff people. If you follow Be Ready PT on social media, you've probably seen her a few times, but Colleen is a physical therapist, pelvic health therapist. Now, often when people hear the phrase pelvic health, they usually associate that, I think, commonly with women and even more commonly with like pregnant women or moms. Uh, but Colleen, can you kind of unpack for us what it, what is the scope of a pelvic health therapist? Yeah, I think that's a, a good point because um, pregnancy and delivery tends to be like a big mechanism of injury if we think about it in like PT world, right? So maybe someone has shoulder pain because they lifted a heavy box at home that weekend and then they end up with like a rotator cuff issue. So that was their mechanism of injury. But when we think about birth, whether that's like vaginal or cesarean, I think that that tends to kind of catch people's attention of like, oh yeah, you probably need pelvic PT because that was a big deal. Um, And that's kind of the new culture that we're coming into. But I think that does kind of cast a shadow on, as you said, maybe women who have never been pregnant or gone through birth, that they have pelvic health issues too, um, just without the same mechanism of injury. And then for males, I think that there's, that's one of the main barriers of care for them to find a pelvic health therapist is that it's not, pelvic health PT is just not often associated with men in our current like culture or healthcare system. And so it oftentimes takes them a lot longer to find a pelvic health provider or realize that that's even an option for them just because we aren't so quick to be like, oh, you have this symptom, you should see a pelvic PT, male and female. Um, But just in like, when we think about um, males trying to have access to that care, there doesn't have to be as specific as like a mechanism of injury as pregnancy or labor, there can be a lot of other things that can lead to males having pelvic health symptoms. Yeah. Well, you know, for people who might be less familiar, can you uh, maybe break down a little bit more like what does a guy who's having pelvic health issues, like what could that look like? Like what symptoms might they have? Like where, where is that? So what's going on? I would say it's very, you know, when you look at male and female symptoms, the symptoms can be very similar because our anatomy is very similar. Um, So when we think about symptoms, kind of the broad umbrella would be urinary bowel sexual dysfunction or pelvic pain. So when you look at those, a lot of times for males, what ends up being a little bit different is they can have urinary leakage, but maybe the more common urinary symptoms might be like frequency, whether that's daytime number of pees versus nighttime. A lot of men can suffer from like nighttime frequency. Can Um, I ask you like, what are some ballpark numbers that we're looking for here? That's a good question. And more people, we should talk about this more often. Um, Six to eight times is average during daytime hours. Okay. Which approximately, depending on what time you wake up and go to bed, should be about every two to five hours you should be. Sure. If it's less than every two hours, or if it's like multiple times within one hour, that's that's an issue. We should talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then at nighttime, really for certain age groups, but a majority of people will fall in like zero to one times at night is what we're looking for for nighttime frequency. So 
um, going a lot or even having the urge to go a lot is kind of one of the main urinary symptoms. I would say from there with bowel symptoms, those are pretty similar. Again, male and female, it can be like constipation. It could be straining with bowel movements. It could be um, pain with bowel movements. Um, technically, males can also have like a prolapse at the rectum or hemorrhoids there as well. Um, hemorrhoids that definitely are a lot more common. So those would be some of the bowel symptoms to kind of think about. Sure. And then in terms of pelvic pain, Again, that's kind of a huge umbrella, and that can also like include sexual dysfunction. So whether that's like low back, hip, groin pain, testicular pain, penile pain, that could also be with like a hernia as well. And then that kind of gets into men can have diastasis recti as well. So we can see yeah. that. Um, and then it comes to like painful ejaculation, um, erectile dysfunction, or lack of um, sensation with intercourse, those could all be symptoms that we could see come up, whether that's like um, numbness, burning, anything like that, kind of in the groin or perineal area. So again, that's kind of a broad umbrella and there's probably little symptoms within there, but that's kind of urinary bowel and then pelvic pain symptoms, so. For sure, so, you know, you just listed uh, a pretty good list of various presentations and symptoms. Colleen, a lot of those are things that I would not want to talk to somebody <laughs> about. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for a man, um, what, like, how do you know that the next step needs to be, hey, I need to, like, seek help about this? I think, you know, just even content like this is important, right, of putting out there and saying, these symptoms can be common, but not normal. And I think that again, goes across that male and female spectrum um, that, you know, having a diastasis as a man who maybe is a weightlifter or does a really manual job. If I have a diastasis or that separation in the abdomen and I have a lot of doming or coning, which isn't bad, but let's say you do have that. Yeah, paint the um, picture for guys that might not know what that is like what yeah. does that look like so i think a common thing that a man would notice is if you are laying on your back and you go to sit up and you do almost like a crunch and you notice kind of a bulge in the middle of your belly that goes all the way down from like your ribs to your pubic bone essentially um, that could indicate that you have a separation or a diastasis there if you just kind of see that a pooch or a dome from the middle of the abdomen. Um, it can happen too if you like hold your breath and bear down or if you lift something heavy. So, you know, if I'm thinking through that, like if you notice a symptom like that um, and maybe you also have a little bit of back pain or maybe you've noticed some erectile dysfunction issues coming in or maybe you're like, yeah, maybe I do pee a lot at night. Like I've never thought about that. Like if, you, if you're seeing multiple of those symptoms come in, most likely you would really benefit from seeing a pelvic PT. Um, I think answering your question, you know, one of the barriers to care is that most of the time men won't necessarily know which provider to start that conversation with. Yeah. And so it could be a primary care physician, a PCP. Um, sometimes it's a urologist, uh, especially if there's any urinary symptoms going on, because most of the time you need to screen out that there's any prostate involvement. Um, so that's, a urologist is usually one of the primary providers that refers males to a pelvic PT. Sure. Um, 
even if you know it's back pain and you're seeing an orthopedist, but then there's there's some of these other maybe urinary or sexual symptoms going on, um, those providers can typically refer. But usually it's it's urologist and you've already gone through multiple tests to make sure that you don't have anything involving your prostate at that point. Sure. Yeah. And I kind of have two questions to follow up on that. You know, when people are going to their primary care providers, just for their like their regular physical or for whatever reason. Do you know of are like are PCPs asking patients about this or is it usually more of a thing of like, hey, if you didn't fill it out on your intake form before the visit, I'm usually not going to ask you about it. Like what it, is that something that you're seeing PCPs cover? That's a great question. I I hesitate to answer that just because I think in my experience with male pelvic health, the majority of men that I have seen have come from a urologist. Sure. So I, I almost would wonder if, you know, again, the PCP kind of becomes the, the funneler to specialties, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone is going into their sure. PCP. Usually maybe they're sending to urology yeah. before they get to you. So I would imagine that they're bringing up those symptoms, especially from like a sexual dysfunction standpoint. I think it's a little bit more common to talk about erectile dysfunction or like painful ejaculation or something like that. And then maybe some of those other urinary symptoms are coming up at the urologist's office um, or if there's some bowel dysfunction as well. But um, I feel like the the urology tends to be one of the main, main people asking those questions on their intake form. So, and then follow up to that is, you know, if somebody knows they're having these issues, uh, can they just like come straight to you if they want to kind of cut out the middleman? Should they go somewhere else first? Uh, How do we kind of work that out? Yeah, I'm a, I am definitely a believer in co-management um, and having that like multi-discipline team for a patient. So I think that if, you know, in Tennessee, we are blessed with having direct access. So patients are able to come to see a PT without needing a provider's referral. I think um, taking advantage of that at the same time of, you know, once you've gone through the intake paperwork with someone like me, and then we've had that conversation in the clinic, um, you know, we all know those like red flags or yellow flag signs to look for if we're with a patient. We're like, hey, you know, this really sounds like we might need to look at your prostate or like there might be something else going on here um, so that we can, you know, while you're waiting for that urology appointment, because sometimes it can take a while to get in to see a specialist. Sure. So if you're trying to go see a urologist and it's going to be two months um, in the meantime, can you come in and see me and can we talk about some of the behavioral strategies around some of your symptoms that could really help or maybe we need to work on some manual treatments and some exercise at the same time so i don't see why those things can't coexist yeah as long as there's not anything that's you know blaringly (laughs) a little bit warning for sure yeah getting a good team around you well let's talk about what are some of the things that you see could contribute to male pelvic health issues yeah i think these um typically can fly under the radar quite a bit. Uh, I think, especially uh, post-COVID, um, oh, interesting. people, I think, can really underestimate the uh, accumulation of having like a chronic cough. So okay. male for male pelvic symptoms, especially related to like urinary urgency and pelvic pain, um, having a chronic cough can be a huge reason why people might have some urinary symptoms. Wow. Um, I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. It's the same thing for females as well. If there's chronic coughing or maybe you had bronchitis for a month or so, like that can definitely cause urinary symptoms. Um, 
and especially, you know, with us being more of like fitness forward therapists, when we think about the weightlifting world, um, and being with the coach and like learning how to brace and lift heavy things, it's not uncommon for people to do like a Valsalva or kind of hold their breath and bear down. Um, and if they're doing that when they are lifting, especially if they have like a manual job or even let's go a little bit more intimate and say like with ball movements, if you're holding your breath and bearing down, um, that's a really common area where you can start to see dysfunction with ball movements. You can start to see pelvic pain from that, especially also like hemorrhoids and hernias, right? Yeah. Um, cause we're weakening that abdominal wall and putting so much pressure on it, depending on how we're bearing down. Um, so that's, that's another thing I think that again, kind of flies under the radar. So I know it sounds kind of funky to say, but learning how to poop, right? Like how do you breathe when you poop? Sure. <laughs> What's the best posture for that? Um, well, and it's tough too. Cause like, I mean, I think you could take squatting or pooping and let's, let's <laughs> kind of think about just all those core bracing strategies. It's like, People can probably like brace by bearing down and solving and get away with it for a long time. And mm -hmm. it's totally fine. Right. Until it's not fine. Yeah. And it, exactly. It could be like an accumulation of things that you're doing, right? Like, let's say you've done that your whole life. It's never been an issue. Um, but then you get a chronic cough or then maybe you yeah. start taking a medication that gives you urinary urgency. Like all of those, you know, the whole person really matters when we're thinking about why did these symptoms all of a sudden come on? Um, because it could also be related to sometimes when people have a surgery, especially if it's around like the low back, the abdomen, the groin area, um, surgeries can cause pelvic dysfunction um, as well as there's quite a few medications. Let's just say like you have, um, hypertension, like depending on what medication your provider puts you on, that could cause you to have more urinary frequency or urgency if it has more of like a LASIK effect, right? Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing too is, um, as mentioned earlier, a few times prostate involvement is also something that we just have to be aware of because any type of enlarged prostate for whatever reason it might be, um, enlarged can oftentimes cause a lot of pelvic health symptoms in men, which is typically why you do see a urologist to have that screened and, and checked. And then just in general, I mean, in our athletic population, there's a lot of times where groin injuries can cause long-term pelvic pain issues. So whether that's like a testicular torsion or whether that's just as simple as like you straining your inner thigh muscle, but where it connects to your pubic bone. So then it is kind of by the testicular anatomy that can cause a lot of pain too. And that healing process can, can include, you know, urinary bowel or sexual dysfunction as well, yeah. you know? You wouldn't think that it could be connected, but yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then this, you know, this goes the same for males and females as well. Uh, but even like STIs, that can also cause pelvic pain symptoms, sure. um, especially from the urinary and sexual dysfunction side of things as well. So I think the list for what can cause male pelvic health symptoms is just equally as long as what it would be for females. They just look a little bit different. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a huge question in my mind before I learned a little bit more about pelvic health and I'm sure many people wonder about is like, okay, so I have these issues. I maybe even I've decided that I'm going to be vulnerable enough to share with a health provider or a pelvic health therapist about it. But like, what is going to happen next? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a joke 
And I'm sure a lot of other public health PTs feel the same way, or maybe some of them would challenge me on this. But I have a joke that I feel about 50% of what I do is teaching people how to breathe properly. (laughs) And I know that that sounds very silly, um, but if you were in my shoes, you would definitely start to see what I'm talking about. I think that, you know, when people come in, especially in male public health, a lot of what we're looking at is, again, I always use that kind of nipple to knee, right? So the range of your body that we're really trying to focus on around your pelvic concerns is from that nipple to knee range. And that includes like your diaphragm, your lungs, your abdomen, your back, your hips, your pelvis. Um, And all of those things are going to play a big role in how you breathe. And so I think um, a lot of the symptoms that we talked about, a lot of the like dysfunction and pain was all can all be kind of going back to, do you exhale when you lift? How do you breathe when you have a bowel movement? When you feel urinary urgency, are you able to kind of calm yourself and breathe through that a little bit? So a lot of what we do is breath strategies, learning how to brace properly to do normal things in your daily life um, that can take some pressure off of your pelvic floor and your lower abdomen. Yeah. And I'd say like, so 50% is breathing. I'd say 25% is just talking to people and educating on your bowel, bladder, and sexual health habits. Sure. Um, I think culturally, no one really teaches us how to poop or pee. Like, (laughs) there's just so many things. Where was that lesson in high school? I don't know. Let's talk about grade school. I mean, we need to go back. We need to go back far. Yeah. but just, you know, we, we develop these beliefs or these behaviors that we've just like done our whole life because we thought that they yeah. were normal. Um, but as you mentioned earlier, like years of accumulation of doing this behavioral habit can be a detriment and start to cause symptoms. Yeah. And, and so a lot of times it's just looking at what are your urinary habits? What are you drinking? What are you eating fiber wise? How do you poop? How many times a day do you poop? Like we just got to start talking through some of those habits and routines because a lot of times there's a lot, there's so many easy fixes in those habits that can make a huge difference on people's symptoms. So kind of like recapping for what people to expect, like I need to see how you move. I need to see how you bend and lift. Mm -hmm. How do you breathe? And then I want to hear the details of like, what do your urinary bowel and sexual health habits look like? Because just those two things alone, I feel like people can get like 75% better or 75% relief from their symptoms if we can just nail down those things. Yeah. Um, and then I think that other 25% just has to do with, okay, how can I help you get there? Like what muscles do we need to work on? What joints are tight? Um, what do we need to strengthen? Um, and so that's kind of the other, the other piece of, of what to expect. Um, and as you know, as a, a female provider too, I I always try to say that you know I want I want all of my patients, no matter what their gender is, to to feel comfortable when they come in for care. And sure. so I think people knowing too that um, it can be really hard. I think sometimes as a as a man to talk to a female about these symptoms, especially if the female is a little bit younger than them, maybe. Sure. Um, and so I do always encourage people too if they want to have like a medical chaperone, they can come if they want to have their like partner or a friend come to the session, they can do that too. So that when we are talking through those more personal things, they feel a little bit more like comfortable or at ease, but yeah. Yeah. Just to even go a little bit further into that, you know, I think, well, first off the fact that you mentioned that just kind of covering some of those, we'll call them like low hanging fruit, like lifestyle factors, Mm -hmm. like strategies, things like that. 
such a huge part of it. But also, like, you know, coming into the session, you know, you're talking about like even like wanting to bring somebody with you. Let's just kind of open it up. Is this you know a guy going to come in? Should he expect to like have to like undress? Like, what are the like more intimate things that might happen in the that session initially, and are they definitely going to happen? So I would say this across the board, whether it's a male or female, um, when it comes to pelvic health, a lot of people can be like, (laughs) what does that even mean? Like, I don't know what to expect, but, you know, kind of take a step back to what I had said a moment ago of we're looking at that nipple to knee region, which includes not just your pelvis. Like that is like one part of it, right? Um, We got to check the back, the abdomen, the hips, all of those things. So a lot of it ends up being like very... I'll use the word orthopedic in quotes of like, if you've seen a PT before, um, my assessment of your overall body parts will be very similar in that regard. When it comes to your symptoms, honestly, I think it really depends on what symptoms that you're having and then how comfortable you feel if I do feel like we need to do a further pelvic exam. And so when I say pelvic exam, um, that can mean a lot of things to different people. Sure. So technically, you know, within pelvic health, that is what makes my skill set maybe a little bit different than yours when it comes to treating certain diagnoses is that um, my training includes an internal exam. So internal could mean vaginal and or rectal, depending on who I'm working with. Um, And it doesn't always have to be internal to look at pelvic floor. So I can do an external assessment and that can happen with just like touching muscles or palpating muscles over people's clothing if that's what they're comfortable with. Um, And then sometimes depending on like which PT clinic you're in, there's something fancy called biofeedback, which I know you know what that is. Um, But for anybody listening, biofeedback is a external device that takes a reading of your muscle activity Um, And it gives me kind of an idea of how well your muscles are tightening and how well they are relaxing. Um, So that can be a really powerful tool in pelvic health as well, especially if someone is not comfortable with doing an internal exam. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's about what each person feels comfortable with. And then, you know, having an honest conversation with them of like, hey, you know, I feel very confident that if that's not something you want to do, like an internal exam is what I'm speaking to specifically, but if that's something that you don't want to do, we don't even have to put that on the table. Like there are, you know, as I mentioned earlier, 75% of what I do, I feel like doesn't have to be manual at that point. Um, So there are so many other things that we can do without even have to go there. And I try to just be really honest with people about saying, you know, in order to get you to 100%, I do feel like this would be really beneficial. Um, And then we can kind of talk about it from there. But it just all depends on who's in front of me, you know? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, gives a very, like, uh, reasonable expectation of what can be on the table. But, you know, that not everything has to be on the table. Yeah. And patients really can just kind of come into this at whatever level they're ready to enter it with so that's exactly. awesome exactly yeah um another quick question are there any specific uh populations of men that you feel like are at risk for these kinds of symptoms what a great question ross <laughs> um, thanks uh, i would say uh one of the things that 
really blew my mind when I was doing my pelvic health education specific around male pelvic health was the high rate of incidence um, for cyclists. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, and I think that hits a little close to home as... Yeah, so (laughs) I asked this question knowing Colleen was going to bring this up as at least one of the populations just because I personally have been getting really interested in triathlon and Colleen... As soon as I mentioned that, Colleen just waltzes in and starts throwing me some stats about male cyclists. <laughs> Let me tell you, they don't look promising. But uh, there's hope on the horizon if you if you do things well, is, is what I've learned. But uh, yeah, so I'm going to have to keep my uh, eyes peeled and just aware of everything going on. And yeah, so I definitely would say cycling. And people, if you kind of think through that a little bit more, it's just you're sitting on a seat. For a really long period of very, time. Very minimal seat at that. So <laughs> you you asked who's more at, like, what populations are more at risk for male public health? So we could say cyclists just because they are sitting for prolonged periods of time and usually on a fairly narrow seat. Yeah. But also people who work at a desk and sit multiple hours a day are also... High on that list. Crush them down on that pelvic floor all day? Is that it? Exactly. We just, you know, it's just tissue compression. And that causes, can cause a lot of nerve issues, like around the sit bones and kind of base of the perineum or like that area, like behind the testicles, basically, is kind of where it gets that compression. So um, that one, you know, it makes sense, but it was definitely interesting to learn about that. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of in terms of other sports, uh, honestly, yeah, hockey kind of makes sense to me because we're on an unstable surface, right? Um, skating around, it's a lot of inner thigh work. So yeah. that one can be really common when it comes to like groin or testicular injuries. But the other one that surprised me too was actually baseball. Um, but I, I must admit, I'm not super well versed with baseball. Like I played softball a little bit for growing up, but I don't know if that can really count <laughs> that. But, and you know, you think about there's a lot of um, sprinting, cutting, sliding into bases um and especially with pitchers and kind of the what they have to do for to complete that motion there can actually be quite a bit of groin or testicular injuries in those sports as well which um the other one i would say too on the list would be soccer but again kind of going back to that running cutting kicking planting on one leg using the other leg to kick so um, a lot of the groin and testicular is kind of more of the, the orthopedic injury, I would say. One other injury that I was interested to know that you could help people out with was more of like um, like tailbone pain, people who've fallen on tailbone. Um, what, what can you do, first of all? Or is that like a thing? What can people expect if they're like, man, I've just like obliterated my tailbone a few times Sorry, that might be strong language that sounds terrible yeah <laughs> um yeah tailbone pain i think is just really debilitating for anybody male or female because how, how many times a day do you need to sit on the surface and be able to do that comfortably um and so when it comes to the tailbone there are so many things that can help um A lot of it ends up going back to kind of looking at your low back and your hips and the mobility that is there, um, as well as kind of checking around the muscles kind of between your sit bones that connect to the tailbone, which Mm -hmm. that just so happens to be your floor muscles. How about it? Whoa, check that out. Um, And then, honestly, there's usually a a period of, of 
modifying how you are sitting to try to decrease compression yeah. and pain. Not that you can't sit, but we usually talk about how can we modify how you're sitting for a little bit um, while we are working on kind of improving the mobility of your tailbone because your tailbone is supposed to move. It goes forward, it goes backwards, it can go side to side, it can rotate a little bit. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? It's such a fragile little bone, but um, just making sure that the mobility is there and then kind of modifying how you're treating it during the day. Yeah. Tailbones need to be treated kindly. <laughs> well, she... uh, Colleen, is there anything else that you feel like is important for our male audience or friends of male audiences who may have uh, pelvic health issues that these these folks should know? I don't have necessarily a, additional information, but more so of just kind of encouragement of um, these conversations are hard to start and it's also hard to know where to start. But I think um, if you did listen to this or if you have somebody in your life who is a loved one that you're like, oh, yeah, I do notice that they go to the bathroom a lot or I do notice that they don't like to sit down for a very long period of time. Um, if there's any symptoms like that of just encouraging them of that there are people out there who can help them. Um, and then as you said earlier, you know, our goal is always to meet patients where they are at and help them with what they are comfortable working on. So um, I would love to be that person to help you with those symptoms, but also if you are just wondering like, hey, is this normal? Or what do you think I should do about this? Um, you know where to reach us. So I would yeah. love to be a resource for you or your loved one um, as these conversations are just hard to have sometimes. Yeah. Well, Colleen, thanks so much again for your time. Uh, if anybody is interested in finding out more, you can go to bereadypt.com. Otherwise, make sure to follow the Nashville Fitness Podcast on Instagram where we will keep posting more episodes and we will catch you on the flippity flip.